that's a beautiful worship song. Some great statements. Waiting here for you. So faithfully waiting here for you. But there are times in life when it feels to me, at least in my experience, times in life when it feels like those lyrics should be changed. Where the waiting doesn't seem like such a wonderful thing. Waiting here for you with our hands not lifted high, but our hands getting heavier and heavier by the minute, by the hour, by the week, by the month, by the year. Still waiting, Lord. Still waiting, Lord. Singing not Alleluia, but singing lyrics like, how much longer, Lord? Singing things like, still waiting here, have I hoped and waited in vain? Because you're sure taking a long time. You're awfully competent, awfully good at making me wait, Lord. And Sometimes it seems as though even the most radical, faith-filled, yes moments of life result in the divine game plan called hurry up and wait. Keep waiting and waiting and waiting. We have been reminding our church that faith, because we're in this series of yes, focusing on yes, but specifically, where's faith in finding your yes? And we've been reminding ourselves that faith is trusting in God's character and then stepping out into his promises, trusting in his character and then stepping out into his promises. But sometimes, even after we fully trust in his character and step out with that first step of faith into his promises, it seems like we step out into a spiritual DMV line, Department of Motor Vehicles line, right? Where they're not calling our name, they seem to have lost our number and forgotten that we're even there in the first place. And we wait, and we wait, and we didn't bring a good book. So we just wait and wait. That's when we learn something about faith that we wish we didn't really have to learn, that we wish we had not discovered. We learn that faith and waiting always go together. Sometimes we wish faith and instant gratification go together. Saying yes in faith and getting everything we said yes to and everything that was implied, every promise implied, we get it right away. But the fact is faith and waiting go together. Waiting is a necessary component of living by faith. If you say yes, probably you're going to have to wait for God to set some things up for you. And we get tired of waiting. I've entitled this message, Hurry Up and Wait, The Connection Between Faith and Delay. Because faith and delay are often connected they're components of each other. It's necessary to wait when we practice faith. And some of the reasons for it being necessary, of it being such a natural connection, are what we're going to deal with today. Because sometimes the waiting, sometimes the waiting is actually part 
of the blessing. Sometimes the waiting is actually some of the best news, the best part of the whole thing. That's often God in the process of blessing. So the question, why are you taking so long, God? I'm waiting here for you, but why have I been waiting so long, and why do I have to wait so painfully? Why is everything going so slowly? Here's one thing to remind you of from the life of Joseph. In Hebrews 11:22, and we've been going back to Hebrews 11 for all of, these, uh, all of these messages here recently, this person Joseph is introduced to us. Uh, later ends of Genesis, Genesis 40-ish to 50, 35 to 50, is where the more expanded story of Joseph is. And it's, it's pretty easy reading. It's really interesting reading, reading his story. But he's referred to in this one verse here in Hebrews 11. And in the reference in Hebrews 11, as well as connecting with the broader story of Joseph, we get a little glimpse into one of the reasons that waiting might be part of the actual blessing itself. Because in making us wait, sometimes God is busy turning blessing into uber-blessing, or the slang uber-blessing. Ubra-blessing, or the slang uber-blessing. He's sometimes in the waiting, taking what we would have accepted and thought was fantastic, and he's fanning it to make it super fantastic. Hebrews 11.22 introduces Joseph, pardon me, (coughs) where it says, in this long list of champions who experienced faith and didn't experience uh, answers to the things they were asking for, they all had to wait. That's the overwhelming theme and overriding theme of Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Joseph had a series of incidents in his life where he had to wait. There were injustices, and they were just the natural results of his own foolishness. But every time, he got stuck someplace waiting. And he was faithful, and his faithfulness should have been rewarded with immediate uh, care, and he had to wait instead. And through that series of circumstances, he ends up, he goes from being sold into slavery by his brothers to being, in effect, the chief operating, operating officer of Egypt. He's second in command only to Pharaoh. He's running the show. And he calls his family, who had sold him into slavery, when there's a famine, he gets word to his family that they should come down there because Egypt has grain, and they're selling it to everybody. And that's how Israel initially got down to Egypt. And that becomes, then, uh, a long stay, a long waiting and out of which they are exiled with Moses. That's how they eventually got down there, though, through Joseph blessing them and God blessing them through his position. And while he's down there, he speaks of this exodus even before there's any trouble going on for them down there. He refers to something, this uh, Hebrews 11 refers to something that Joseph said toward the end of his life, but it was something that wasn't going to happen for 430 years, more than a 400-year waiting period before what Joseph talked about in the exile and what actually happened. 400-year wait. Go ahead, sing it. Waiting here for you. 400, 200, 300, 430 years. 
with my hands fading fast, <laughs> and my joints rusting up, waiting here for you. And my argument is that that 400 years was taking blessing to ubra, or uber blessing. How was that a magnified blessing? 400 years before the time Joseph spoke of it, promised it, and it happened. Well, here's one way. During that 400 plus year waiting period, Israel grew from less than 100 people. Estimates are about 70 or 80 people came down in response to Joseph's invitation to come and get food. They grew to perhaps more than 200 or 2 million people. So they, while in Israel, they entered Israel a clan and they left Egypt a clan. They entered Egypt a clan, but they left Egypt a virtual nation. 200, 2, or 2 million, 2.5 million perhaps. So there was this long waiting period where God developed them and grew them. Now it was painful, it was difficult, it was slavery. It's not like it was a picnic. But there was this blessing that God had, sort of like tilling the soil. There's nothing fun if you're the soil, but it makes the soil receptive and good things can come out of it. One of the reasons that God might be taking so long is because he wants to move far beyond what you ever imagined he could do. And you're going to go from a clan to a nation. Maybe he's turning a blessing into a magnified blessing. When I first became a Christian, I knew that I had to change lots of things in my life. I mean, I, I don't know, well, it was God, I guess. I, I'm sure. I used to have the kind of language that made sailors blush. And I didn't even think about it. It was just like as naturally as you took a breath, you dropped an F-bomb, whatever it might be. So bad that my non-Christian friend once came to me and said, Art, my sister and her girlfriends don't want to sit with you at the table anymore uh, during lunch break because your language is so foul. None of them were serving Christ. It was just how it was. And I became a Christian. I mean, I prayed a prayer and committed my life to Christ, fully aware, and within minutes... After that prayer, an F-bomb comes out of my mouth. And I realized just like that, I can't talk like that anymore. Where did that come from? I just knew I had to make a change. All kinds of changes. One of the things that I knew was now necessary, I somehow inherently knew it, was that when it came to my dating relationship, I, I should only date Christian girls. And then I thought, I should only date those Christian girls. <laughs> I was going to have to practice something I hadn't practiced for a long time called celibacy. Things had to change. The biblical norm was for me to be celibate until I was married. And that was a major difficult change. And yes, I still remember. It was a major, major change that I just knew in my heart had to change. So what that did was it made me quite interested in getting married. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to be married overnight. So I'm dating these Christian girls, and I'm praying, Lord, send me just the right lady, and I'll love her, I promise, you know. And I started even praying for my wife, whom I didn't know yet. 
Lord, whoever it is, wandering out there without a man, whoever she is, please bless her. Please take care of her. If she's not a Christian yet, then reveal yourself to her. Please bless her father's business, because I'd love to marry into a rich family. You know, <laughs> all kinds of noble prayers. I was dead serious. And trust me, I tried to put some ideas into God's mind. That one would work just fine for me, Lord, right there. How about that one? Not the one. No matter, and I felt like the wait was so long. When is she going to show up? And I'd try to hook up with, or try to date somebody. Hook up meant something different back then. <laughs> not, not that hookup. And just the sparks wouldn't fly. You know, you have a little tickle in your stomach. Did you guys get that when you found a little tickle in your stomach like there was a butterfly in there? And I'd have that. This is going to be the one. And then it would just go. Go away. Oh, man. Wait. I was so frustrated with God because the weight was agonizing. I thought he was so cruel because, Lord, I'm waiting here for you. How long am I going to have to wait? And then I met Brenda. And that weight became a total gift that I was very glad he had inflicted on me. He wasn't making me wait to torture me. He was making me wait, and trust me, it felt like 400 years. He was making me wait so that he could take the blessing and turn it into uber blessing, ubra blessing. And that's exactly what he did. You know, it's often during the waiting period that God puts the frosting on the cake. You'd have been happy to have the cake. Hold on, hold on a second. You think that cake is good? Leave that here for another week. I'm going to do something even better to it. It's during that waiting period that the more than we could ever ask or imagine of Ephesians 3 is orchestrated. He's able to give more than you could ever ask or imagine. And it's during that waiting period that what you would have settled for is turned into more than you could ever ask or imagine. It goes from blessing to uber-blessing, and it feels like it's taking forever. But maybe that's why things are taking so long. Waiting is a necessary component of living by faith. Because sometimes the waiting for God is the crucial part of being blessed by him. When we say, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? His answer is often, as long as it takes for me to maximize your blessing. As long as it takes for me to give you more than you could ever think or imagine. As long as it takes for me to uberfy it. Maybe he's turning blessing into uber, uber blessing. Second point from the story of Joseph about waiting and the connection it has with faith. So maybe the waiting is because he's turning a blessing into a bigger blessing. But there's another reason, and I'll end with this one. Maybe God is waiting and asking you to wait because, you ever think of this? Maybe he sees the potential in you for greatness. And he wants to develop it. Maybe he looks at you and says, hmm, this person's going to go way beyond that category of average. This person, 
and I can do something with that person. There's a potential for greatness in that person, and I'm willing to cook it longer. I've got to cook it longer because that she's going to be fantastic. She's going to be great. Now, Joseph goes through all sorts of things that seem to be unfair and that cause him to wait, not in the best of circumstances. In Genesis 37, Joseph gets into trouble with his brothers by, of his own making. Joseph is his father's favorite son from his father's favorite wife, and his father makes him a special coat. You know the coat of many colors? That's Joseph. That's with Joseph. And he's walking around wearing this fancy coat where everybody else is dressed in common drab. He has to make sure he wears his coat in front of his brothers and all of his friends, as if to say, Dad likes me best. You and I are all brothers and all that kind of stuff. He's our dad. He's all of our dad. But guess who he loves the most? Check out my coat. And if that's not bad enough, Joseph has a dream where these she's, these, these stacks of hay, one represents Joseph and others represent his brothers and his mother and his father. And he has this dream where all the other sheaths bow down to him while he stays erect. Okay, cool dream. But you don't share that with your jealous brothers while you're wearing your coat of many colors, of which they have none. But he does it anyway. He comes to them and says, you like the coat? Wait till you hear this. Not only did I get the coat, I had a dream where one day all of y'all bow down to me. All of my older brothers bow down to the younger brother. And I just stood there receiving it. Not only you, but our mom and dad bowed down to me too. And I just stood there kind of dancing around and enjoying the glory. I had this dream. What do you guys make of that dream? I mean, they, what kind of foolishness is that? That Joseph submits himself to, subjects himself to. And so as you can imagine, the brothers become upset. And they say, let's kill this sucker and be done with this. Let's just spread, let's, let's kill a calf and spread blood all over his coat. Let's give him a slow, agonizing death. We'll bury him out here in the sand, take the coat back to our father, fake like we're sad and say, oh no, uh, a wild beast devoured him. Look, here's the evidence. They end up not killing him, but instead throwing him in a pit and then eventually selling him to some nomads, to, to slaves. And Joseph had to wait for that dream to be fulfilled. And then Genesis 39, he's sold to a gentleman named Potiphar, who's an officer in Egypt. And he showed himself to be so good at managing the household that Potiphar put him in charge of everything. Never really even checked with him, just trusted him. Then Joseph, who was apparently a hot commodity, I mean, he was looking fine. And Potiphar's wife, I guess Potiphar was on the road too much because Potiphar's wife noticed that Joseph was a fine-looking specimen. And she kept saying to him, Joseph, come and lie with me. Joseph, come on in here. Let's be intimate. Every time she saw him, she was nagging him. Hey, now, huh? now, today, tonight? And he was an honorable man. He said, no, I'm not doing that. Potiphar, my master, trust me with everything in the house. Why would I repay him by taking the one thing he's withheld from me, his own wife? No. And so Joseph fled, and when he was 
running from her. I got pretty aggressive, I guess. She grabbed onto his garment, and he pulled away, and she, the garment came off, and she held it. She was so upset with him that she screamed and said to the men of the house, Joseph tried to have his way with me. Look, he left his garment here in my room. And as a result of that, none of it which ever happened, uh, Joseph was thrown into prison, and he had to wait in prison to be blessed for his integrity. He's in prison. He does so well in prison that the keeper of the prison says, you are such a helpful dude. I'm going to put you in charge of some of the prisoners. That's the level of trust I have with you. And he did very well managing some of those prisoners. One of the prisoners comes and has a dream, and they can't, or two of them, can't figure out the dream. And Joseph interprets the dream for them, and it made sense. And he said, how can I ever thank you, Joseph, for what you've uh, done? Because they're going to go tell Pharaoh uh, this dream now, and and be blessed. Joseph says, just remember me before Pharaoh. Just get me out of this prison. That's all I ask. But they forget him. And he has to, what? Wait. Even longer. And then finally in Genesis 45, he's remembered before Pharaoh. He gets out of prison. And the dream that he had as a teenager comes to fruition, where his brothers are before him. They come down to Egypt to buy grain, because that's the only place there's grain to buy. They don't recognize Joseph, but they come down, and it says in the text many different times in many different ways that they bowed before this master of Egypt, not knowing who it was. Joseph waited a long time and many different times. How long was the wait between his initial dream as an adolescent and the fulfillment of it when his brothers are coming and bowing before him. Well, he was 17 years old when he had the dream, the text tells us. 30 years old when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream for him, so he's gotten out of prison. He's about 30 when he's made second in command, the chief operating officer of Egypt. Plus, you have seven years of famine and two years of plenty. So that's 22 years of waiting between the time Joseph had the initial adolescent dream that got him in trouble with his brothers and the time that dream is actually fulfilled and his brothers are bowing down to him. 22 years of waiting, 13 of which are as a slave. How is that benefit showing itself in Joseph? Because I argued sometimes the reason we wait is that maybe God sees potential greatness in, his, in, in us and the waiting period, it is about God cooking it up, God letting it simmer, God letting it grow, God developing it. And during that waiting time, jo- Joseph grew in several ways. He grew in humility. What a contrast, because if we, if we read, as we read about Joseph dealing with his brothers, his tender heart, there's no boasting. But at 17, he's boasting about his coat and his dream and how they're all going to be serving him. 22 years later, he's talking about relax, don't worry about what you did. God used it for good. And he's tender to his brothers. He grew in humility. He grew in discretion, so he knows what to say and what not to say. By the way, that's half the battle in life is about knowing what not to say, isn't it? He grew in his ability to manage, so he grew in competencies during those years of waiting. He learned some things. He grew in patience. He grew in character. It was during the waiting that God developed Joseph, grew Joseph, prepared him to be able to receive what he had initially been promised when he was a teenager. Joseph's life was kind of like my red sauce. 
I like making red sauce. I like making red sauce with so much garlic in it that you have to put the wallpaper up again after I cook it. One time I cooked some red sauce in the kitchen and one of our friends who was living with us walked into the house, took two steps through the door and said, what in the world is going on in here? So much garlic. But I cooked that red sauce and my children, their mouths are drooling and Brenda's mouth is drooling and whoever wants to come over and get some of the red sauce, Brenda can hardly stand it, smells so good. We're going to have red sauce and spaghetti, red sauce and pasta tonight. And you know what I always say? Not having it tonight. If you think that would taste good tonight, where do you taste it two days from now? Take that red sauce off the stove after cooking all day, put the lid on it, put it in the refrigerator, and we don't touch it for two days. You know what happens during those two days? All those seasonings kind of have some time to seep out. And the Italian sauces that I put in there, that's also seasoned. It has some time to kind of come out, sneak out, and mingle. And then when you stir that after two days of rest, let me just tell you, things get better with time. That's Joseph's life. That's waiting. Sometimes we keep singing, I'm waiting here for you. You are taking forever, God. Because he's cooking up something good. He sees greatness in you. And it's through time that he's going to develop it. And look at the great thing that happened in Joseph. He meets his brothers. They don't recognize him. The whole earth was starving. He saw it ahead of time, had a strategy for seven years of abundance. Let's store all kinds of grain, Egypt. And then when there's going to be seven years of famine after that, we'll be the ones with the grain. People will come to us to buy it. Not only will their lives be saved, our nation will be enriched. And his brothers come down to get that grain, and they realize that they're buying it from the man that they thought they were going to kill and certainly believed was lost in slavery. Genesis 45, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God, and here's the great thing that God prepared Joseph for. God sent me before you to preserve life. The life of the known world. Because we're the only place they can come to eat. Without me, that wouldn't be possible. Sometimes God has you wait because he sees greatness in you and he wants to develop it. He says, God turned your treachery into something good. He saw greatness in me and used your jealousy to bring it out. Genesis 50. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? There's the humility. Listen to the humility compared to look at my coat. I had a dream and your she's bowed down to mine. I know who I am. I'm not in the place of God. Don't be afraid. You intended to do harm to me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives, greatness. So then don't be afraid. And then more humility. Actually, I'm now going to provide for your children. I'm going to give them what you tried to take from me, life. Sometimes God takes so long because he sees something special in you 
And he, in the waiting, is actually protecting you from settling for something that's beneath you. He wants to uberify the blessing. And he wants to take advantage of the greatness that he sees in you. Finishing this message, here's what I want to do. I want to, I'm going to read three verses, just the texts themselves. And I'm going to ask you to concentrate on these texts and see if there isn't one or the other that resonates with you around this theme of the connection between faith and delay. One of these speak to you today, and if it does, all I'm going to ask you to do is this. Take that, put it in your pocket, and go home and live with that text this week. See what else the Lord has for you with it as you focus on it. The first is from Romans 8. If you're comfortable, just close your eyes. Focus on this. See if it doesn't grab your heart. There are going to be three of these. Romans 8. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Isaiah 40. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young people stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord. They're going to soar. Finally, 2 Peter 3, in the context for this verse, it has to do with uh, the end time. So the question is, Lord, when will you make everything that's wrong right? Why are you taking so long to return and make everything right? In 2 Peter 3, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting any to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. He's not slow. He's patient. God, will you take this message and use it to encourage and strengthen Align us with your timing. And will you take one or the other of these texts and make it our special, helpful companion this week? Teach us from it. Bring it to mind. Because, Lord, we're still waiting here for you. 
We're still waiting.